Hey, good morning, kiddos. It's morning for me. I'll go ahead and say good evening for you, though. So, it is March 10th, 2011. I got up early this morning. I am uh, going to start doing my exercises and uh, working out a little bit in the morning. And uh, got to bed real early and I woke up early, so I didn't think, I didn't see any reason to lay around in bed, so I just got up. It was about 4 o'clock. Now it's a little after 5. I got some time before I got to go to work. And I wanted to do another podcast for you guys because we started Ephesians last night, chapters 1 and 2. And I wanted to make sure we didn't lose track of that. Make sure we finished here sooner or later. So anyways, I'm going to pick up at Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister, and according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone who is the plan of the mystery hidden for... Let me start that one over. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, 
may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Oh, kiddos, that's the end of chapter three. I just got to say, we're going to have to come back. I'm, I'm reading this, but we're not stopping and analyzing or, you know, breaking down every verse. But my goodness, there is so much that God is trying to tell us and teach us in all of these chapters of Ephesians. But it's okay. There's no way to read the Bible once and pick up everything God's trying to tell you. That's a lifelong process. There are a lot of points that I think we'll go back to as soon as we read through Ephesians once. So, and I'm going to start reading you the chapter headings too because they are a little helpful in uh, understanding the different points that uh, Paul is trying to make here as he writes the book of Ephesians. So, okay, beginning of chapter 4, the, the uh, subject is unity in the body of Christ. This is kind of the heading of this little piece here. Chapter 4, unity in the body of Christ. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, Okay, I just got to stop there, kiddos. That's chapter 4, verses 1 through, three, 1 through 3. Walking worthy to the calling to which we've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Okay, I got to stop right there, because mommy and daddy, uh, Take our time to point out when you guys are not walking towards one another in humility and gentleness and bearing with one another in love. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, that is hard to do. And that's why Paul, and God, of course, God through Paul, tells us to be this way towards one another. It's something that you have to focus on and you have to practice and it takes work sometimes. And I'll, I'll let you know, there's lots of times here at work, I have a super hard time walking. I, I fail. I just fail. I don't walk in patience and have humility and gentleness toward other people sometimes. Lots of times, actually. And instead of bearing with one another in love or bearing with Mr. Alex in love or bearing with Mr. Andrew in love, 
I just get frustrated with them and maybe say things that mm, don't help them, don't help anybody. Might say something mean or something that isn't encouraging. But this is why God tells us to um, ha walk with humility and gentleness and patience and bear with one another in love. It takes work and we have to focus on it. <clears throat> so, the better you kids get at doing that when you're young, the easier it is and the more God will bless you, the better your relationships will be. God doesn't tell us this just to heap more uh, rules and burdens on us. He tells us this so we can have a better, uh, more full, joyful life. It's for our personal good that we act this way towards other people. It took me a really long time to figure that out. That's why I'm telling you guys. I'm not telling this to heap more rules on you. I'm telling this so you have better relationships and more joy. Okay, back to this chapter 4 here. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. I think that's a quote from Isaiah. Let me see here. If I can read the tiny print. There, there. Where is it? Come on, Daddy. Find it. Mm, Psalm 68:18. Yeah. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. That's about Jesus dying and then being raised up. Psalm 68, verse 18. Okay, back to the book. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love. Have you guys ever heard that saying before? Speaking the truth in love? It's like a fine balance of telling somebody the truth, but saying it in a loving way. You'll hear more about that later. Speaking with grace seasoned in salt, seasoned with salt. 
That's another way our speech is described. Okay, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, so that whole unity in the body of Christ thing is about being kind, being patient to one another, and also growing up in the knowledge of God and knowledge in the Son of God and maturing as Christian believers together so that we can all do the work that God set before us and help other people get saved and come to believe in Jesus and that we're all a body and we're all working together. Okay, the next subject heading in chapter 4 is called The New Life. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Oh, that's pretty cool there, you guys. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Let the sun let do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So is it okay to be angry? Yes, it's it's okay to be angry. Just don't sin. Don't get murder in your heart. Don't get hateful when you're angry. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. So don't go to bed angry. Try and get all that out. And give no opportunity to the devil. Ooh. So what Paul's saying there is that if you stay angry and if you sin while you're angry, if you let that anger burn into a fire of hatred and murder in your heart, you're going to give the devil opportunity to come and do bad things in your life. That's exactly what that those two verses say. So, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal 
but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Ooh, that's a big one for the oil field here. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up. Oh man, there's a huge one, you guys. So, we're not supposed to say anything that corrupts or breaks down or is nasty. It's kind of what that corrupt means. But only such as good as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Wow, I've got a long ways to go there, kiddos. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Oh, man. That's the end of chapter 4. But that's pretty big there, you guys. Just keep in mind, these aren't rules so mommy and daddy can take a dollar away from you. Or that God can say, Oh, oh, I got you there. Oh, you weren't kind and tender-hearted. And you spoke with some corrupt talk. And, uh... Gideon, you stayed angry. Uh, even after you went to sleep, after you went to bed, you were still angry about something next morning. Oh, there I got you. Oh, no, kiddos. Just, you got to understand, God is telling us these things so that we have rich, productive, joyful lives. And so that we can have good relationships and not get weird dysfunctional relationships where we get mad at somebody and then we don't tell them the truth and love about why you got upset about something and you work through your problems like healthy people do. No, some people get angry and they never forgive the rest of their lives. That's just crazy and it hurts them physically, and it hurts the, their hearts. So God's telling this for our own good, and because it hurts when we don't do it His way. So, that's the end of chapter 4. I'm going to hit stop right now. I think what I'm going to do is read a chapter of uh, Wilder King after work. i got to get a shower and get ready to go to work here, so... I love you kiddos, and I will be back to the podcast basically in a second, although it'll be more like 14 hours in reality. Ha ha ha, the magic of electronics. Love you. Okay, well, that was quick, wasn't it? It's now 7.30 at night, so 14 hours later... Just a few seconds when you're in electronic land. It's so cool. Anyways, um, we will be finishing up Ephesians tomorrow, if all goes well. Um, I want to read you chapter 
13 in Wilder King. Chapter 13, Book 3 of Wilder King. Aiden lay awake most of that night, half expecting trouble from Marvin and his boys. He finally fell asleep a couple of hours before dawn, and when he awoke, Marvin's gang was gone. Cookie had sent the group had seen the group leave while he was trying to light the breakfast fire in the pre-dawn darkness. Never had a day seemed fresher. Marvin's departure was like a shadow lifting. The morning sun glistened off the stream, now only a little higher than normal. The birds that had spent the previous day drying out sang joyously in celebration of the new day. After breakfast, Aiden joined Jasper on a walk down the canyon. The canyon changes after every rainstorm, Jasper explained, and the storm we just had was the biggest one we've had since we've been here. Look, this is what I'm talking about. He pointed at a spot where the water flowed over flat sand. Looks like any other spot on the canyon floor, Aiden said, not sure what point Jasper was trying to make. But it didn't two days ago, Jasper said. This was the wash hole. Remember those two willow trees right there? The ones where we always hang our clothes to dry? You're right, Aiden said, looking at the two big trees, then back down at the stream. But that was a pretty big pool. Took the miners most of a week to dig it, Jasper agreed, but it probably took only a few minutes for the flood to fill it back in. He pointed up the canyon. The sand and clay that washed down the stream, and probably some from up there at the canyon rim, got dumped into the pool here until it filled up. Jasper pointed at a smooth mound across the way. Remember the tower that used to stand there? It must have crumbled away and washed downstream. Amazing, Aiden said. So the storm tears down the high spots and fills in the low spots? Sort of, Jasper answered. Sometimes it makes low spots lower, digging a little furrow into a big trench. Sometimes part of a wall crumbles away and leaves a new tower or chimney that wasn't there before. The only thing you can be sure of is that dirt is going to move around. After a rain like this one, some spots get buried in sand and clay, and some spots get unburied. No rhyme or reason to it as far as I can make out. Aiden pointed up at a pine tree on the very edge of the canyon. It was the one he had noticed when he first came here, with its roots reaching out into the air. I remember that tree, he said. It used to have a neighbor. Do you remember? It hung upside down by the roots just a few feet from that tree. It's gone now, Jasper observed. The storm must have been too much for it. Wonder where it is now, Aiden said. Maybe floating down the Ichihuli by now or on its way to the ocean. Or it might be out here somewhere. Likely it's buried in the sand, said Jasper. Aiden walked toward the canyon wall where the tree had hung. 
curious to see if it was on the canyon floor. He saw no sign of the tree, but he did see something else that caught his eye. Hey, Jasper, he called. Come over here. What does this look like to you? Jasper knelt beside him in the wet sand and examined the flat, brittle piece of wood Aiden handed him. It was a little bigger than a man's hand. A whole row of identical pieces peeked out of the sand like a row of teeth. It looks like a shingle to me, Jasper said. That's what I thought, Aiden agreed. From his side pouch, he pulled out a flat digging rock, a leftover from his Fiji Fen days, and began digging around the shingles. They were attached to a wide plank. A piece of roof decking, no doubt. There was a second row of shingles nailed just below the first. Do you suppose a piece of roof from an old barn washed down here from a nearby farm? Aiden asked. Jasper gazed up at the canyon rim. The nearest farm I know of is almost ten leagues away. That was a powerful storm, but I don't see how surface water, or really anything less than a river, could carry something this big for ten leagues. He thought on it a little more. And besides, when was the last time you saw a shingled roof in this part of Cornwall? All the roofs around here are reed thatch or palmetto thatch. You're right, Aiden said. This is like a roof you might see in the hill country. Or the old country. Jasper's brow crinkled. So how did it get here? Aiden dug again with his rock. But even in the wet sand, he couldn't make enough progress to suit Jasper, who was growing more perplexed and more excited about their discovery. I'm going to get the miners, he announced. They'll have a dugout in no time. An hour's digging by the miners produced impressive results. They dug out the decking plank within ten minutes of arriving on the scene. Then they found two more shingled planks and a pair of massive roof timbers, almost as big as squared-off trees. Except for those on sentry duty, every man in the camp came to watch the digging and debate about the findings. Everyone agreed the planks and timbers hadn't been washed down by the flood of two days earlier. They were buried too deeply for that. This flood must have just washed away the sand that had buried the planks and timbers many years earlier. But that didn't explain how they got there in the first place. One of the soldiers proposed that pirates or criminals had built a house in the canyon for a hideout and a flood had destroyed it. But in the canyon full of natural hideouts, it seemed unlikely that anyone would actually build a house to hide in. Someone else suggested that the house may have overhung the canyon at one time and fallen into the canyon just as the big pine tree had fallen during the storm. But again, who would be fool enough to build a house overlooking sinking canyons? The place got its very name from the rim constantly sinking down to the canyon floor. While the debate continued, the miners continued digging. Soon, they made another discovery.
Digging out the deeper end of one of the roof timbers, Clayton's shovel clanged against something metal. Soon, he had uncovered a thickly corroded plate of curved iron. The field hands were the first to recognize it as a plow blade. Oh, Mama, Dobro moaned. Oh, Mama, if you only knew what your boy had been messing up with. Everyone stopped to stare at the Fiji, who wrung his hands in genuine distress. What's the matter with you, Dobro? Aiden asked. Dobro was breathing fast, trying to regain his composure. I ain't but three things my mama especially told me was bad luck to mess up with. Three things ain't no Fiji supposed to mess up with. And here I am, messing up with all three at the same time. What in the world are you talking about? asked Arliss. Dobro held up his index finger. One, civilizers. I don't mean to hurt nobody's feelings, but you folks is bad luck. He held up two fingers. Two, sinking canyons. Feature folks go wherever they want to go on this island, except sinking canyons and places that got civilizers. Here I stand in the middle of sinking canyons with a crowd of civilizers. And now the next thing to turn up is the very worst luck in the round world. A cold, shiny plow. He looked as if he might start crying. Any cold, shiny is bad luck for the beachy folks. Of course, but a cold, shiny plow's the worst bad luck of all. What's so awful about a cold, shiny plow? Percy asked. Dobro didn't seem to have heard the question, but he closed his eyes and launched into a beachy sad ballad. Oh, Vizu, you is root, covered by the clay. With chopping and plowing, you tore up the ground, and now it's washed away. Oh, Vizu, you is ruined, buried in the sand. The world caved in, and you and your kin was swallowed by the land. Oh, Vizu, you is ruined, and all your folks is gone. They took to the bogs, now your horses and hogs got to make it on their own. Oh, Vizu, you is ruined underneath the ground. Your cold shine is rusted, your cabins is busted. They'll never more be found. It's all right there in the Fiji lore, Dobro explained. All about Vizu and his magical cold shiny plow. He wiped away a tear of self-pity. In the old times, way before civilizers come to Cornwall, Fiji folks was farmers and villagers just like you. And the biggest Fiji farmer of them all was a feller named Vizu. And weren't he a greedy some rascal? He farmed more land than any other man on the island, but his feelings was hurt 
because it weren't enough for him. He was sitting in his yard one evening with his lips pooched out when poof, a yard fairy turned up. A what? Big Hayes asked. A yard fairy. You know, the kind of fairy lives in folks' yards. And the yard fairy says, Vizu, how come your lips is pooched out? Vizu says, My feelings is hurt because I ain't got enough land to plow. I plow all the land a man and a mule can plow, but it ain't enough. The fairy says, I see. If you already plowing all the ground a man and a mule can plow, and what you need is a magical cold shiny plow. And poof, there one is, just as shiny and pretty a thing as Vizu ever seen. His eyes gets real big, account of he's so greedysome. Then the fairy says, Just don't plow too long a furrow. Vizu's so wondrous, he's almost don't hear the fairy's warning. But finally, he pulls his eyes off of that cold china plow long enough to ask, How long is too long a furrow? But the fairy's gone. Next day, Vizu commences to plowing, and he plows the prettiest ankle-deep furrow long enough to grow corn for the whole neighborhood. He figures that must be long enough a furrow, and he ought to turn around. But then he figures he might want a pumpkin patch too. So he giving his mill a swap, and on they go another piece. Vizu don't even notice now his magical cold shiny plows cutting a furrow knee deep and two foot wide. He's about to turn his mule around. But then he figures some watermelons might be just the thing. So he gives his mule another swap, and on they go another piece. He don't notice that his magical cold shiny plow is digging a furrow shoulder high and ten foot across. Vizu was just about to turn that mule around when... He got a hankering for onions and decided he'd plow up an onion patch. He give his mule a swat and on they go. He didn't know he was plowing right through his own yard because his furrow was deeper than his head and 50 foot wide. He just kept on plowing, happy as a jaybird, and his cabin dropped into the furrow. Then his barns dropped into the furrow, and finally the clay just tumbled in on top of Vizu and buried him in his magical cold shiny plow, too. And that's why Fiji's is swamp folks, forest folks. Vizu's neighbors seen what come farming, and they just, and they taken to the woods where they could get their nourishment without cutting furrows with no cold shiny plow. Dobro looked solemnly at his hearers. And the moral of the story is, don't go messing up a cold shiny plows. I thought the moral was don't go messing up with yard fairies, Percy chimed in. 
but Dobro paid him no mind. Hey, Dobro, Percy teased. You don't suppose that's Vizu's cabin and magical plow we found, do you? Dobro looked thoughtfully into the hole the miners had dug. I reckon that's as good an explanation as anything you civilizers has come up with. And that's the end of chapter 13, kiddos. Well, I love reading to you guys. Not only do I love you kiddos, but I love reading to you, and I'm glad there are authors out there. I've said this before. I'm glad there's authors out there that write neat stories like this. So I am very thankful to God that he gifts people with creative powers and gifts them with diligence and uh, dedication and discipline to sit down and write and revise and talk through things and write more and revise and uh, do draft after draft until a story comes alive like this or like Andrew Peterson's or like S.D. Smith's. It takes a lot of work on top of the talent God gave them. So I am just very grateful for people who use their talents and bless other people like me. I, I'm just, I honestly, I think my life would be a lot different without all these awesome stories that uh, we've been reading over the past few years. And I am, I consider myself super honored and super blessed and very, very happy to get the chance to read these stories to you guys, to my kiddos. So thank you for listening. Thank you for giving me a chance to read these stories. And they're just so much more fun out loud than they are um, reading by yourself. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for letting me be a daddy. First, a husband to my wonderful Mary Melissa my beautiful wife, and then a father to all the sloggy kids. I hope if they want, and if you, um, if that's part of your plan for them, Lord, I hope they enjoy being a parent as much as I do and doing fun things like this. Um, it's like one of the most fun things in my life ever. Um, so, Father, I pray that you would bless all of the kids. Lord, I ask you that you would give them creative powers, whether it be working with materials or building or drawing or designing or composing music or playing music or uh, writing exciting stories and bringing characters to life and landscapes to life and stories to life. Uh, Father, I just pray that your life-giving creative power would be gifted to all of the kids, to Lily, to Gideon, to Chrissy, to Sonia, and to Garrison, and that they would receive it, they'd catch that creative power like a basketball and say, Hallelujah, thank you, Father. I'll take it. And I know you've started to do that already, Lord, in their lives. I know you're really, we have lots of creativity going on in our house. And I'm just so thankful for it. Um, 
and because you are a God of creation and you are the God who makes all things new and you're making all things new. And uh, uh, we love you and we thank you for getting to share in your creative work. And um, by doing it, we get to know you better and love you more and uh, help us to be like you and like your son, Jesus. And um, fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Help us to repent of our sin. Show us our sin, Father. And give us the power of your Holy Spirit to turn away from it, to recognize it, and to turn away from it. And and uh, cleanse ourselves with your precious blood that you shed on the cross, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for, for doing that for us. We owe you our lives, and truly our lives are not our own. So fill us up and use us however you would see fit to bring you glory and, and honor and riches and power because they're all yours forever and ever. Amen. Okay, love you kiddos. Get some good sleep tonight. Bye-bye.